We're recording this at 2 o'clock on the 30th of March, 2019, so by the time you hear this, things we say might actually be right. Welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, the hockey show that also has 0.122% chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> yes! I'm Stuart Jones, and with me is Darren Plett. Hello, Hi. Darren. I- I'm here. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good, good. Uh, so let's start by taking a look at our scorecard, which tells us how bad we are at what we're currently doing. We try to guess at how well the Oilers and the Flames are going to do over the next month or so, and then we admit how poorly we did. So let's look at back at last month. We said that the Flames, let's start with them, they had 15 games in the month of March. They still have one left to play as of recording this, but it doesn't matter because we were way off anyways. <laughs> we both said that they would win 12 out of their 15 games. Uh-huh. That's pretty ambitious now that I think about it. They went 7-7-0. Seven, seven and oh. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I texted you within the first week and was like, we lost. We we did bad. Yeah. I feel like we deserve a bye, though, because we did really good last month. Okay. Both of us. Yeah. All right. So we're one for one, one and one. And one. We've got multiple predictions. Yeah, but we probably did poorly on most of them anyways. <laughs> anyway, the Oilers, reliably enough, we said they would win five of their 13 games. Apparently, mm-hmm. we agreed on both of these teams. Yeah, we did. So we both said they'd win 5 out of 13 games. They actually won more than that. That's odd. Not many, though. They went 6-5-2. and two. So we were pretty close with yeah. the Oilers. They were reliably mediocre. That's not bad. That's, that, that's their playoff push right there. Yeah, that's the yeah. Oilers trying real hard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just a sneak peek into what we're going to talk about later. I saw they have four games left in the season. I was, or five games left, and I was kind of tempted. To just you know, the Oilers—they'll probably win all five oh, and yeah. still not make the playoffs. Definitely, right? that's just what they do. But we'll we'll get to that later. Uh, but uh, yeah, what do you want to talk about this past month or so? Well, I guess I could start off talking about the Flames because honestly, that's really all I know about. I was actually at the game last night against the Ducks that they won 6-1. So, yeah, clearly I am a bit of a good luck charm. Scored some very free tickets and got to watch uh, Sean Monaghan score uh, not quite a hat trick. He got two goals and then people started throwing hats everywhere. Uh, The problem being that he had scored two goals in the second period. And then they switched one because apparently he banked it off James Neal's head or something. Who knows? It just hit James Neal for his, I see. you know, sixth goal of the year or whatever. And apparently about half of the Dome heard that announcement. So then when Monaghan scored his actual second goal late in the third, there was just hats raining down onto the ice. And they didn't bother to correct the fans. So they just let it happen for a while. It was, I was kind of embarrassed for everybody that wasn't paying attention. That makes sense, though. Like you, you can't correct that many thousands of people who can't count. It just doesn't work well, that way. There was like <laughs> two, three hats on the ice, and and I feel like most people were like, "Was that really a hat trick?" And then like peer pressure kicked in. Yeah, and they had a chance to salvage it, but then all of a sudden hats just were going everywhere, and it was like, "Oh no, guys! Oh, oh no!" So Monahan just got a ton of free hats for not really you know getting a hat trick right those all go directly to his collection right oh yeah Yeah. absolutely 
That's uh, Patrick Kane has just closets <laughs> and closets full of hats. I, actually, right now. I think it's multiple houses filled with <laughs> yeah. only hats. Um, as for the rest of the month, as we very briefly covered, the Flames went seven, seven, and two. Was it? Didn't didn't do so hot. Seven, but seven, and zero. Oh. Seven, seven, and zero. Oh, they went five hundred. Part of that is due to the top line not really scoring. I know. I just said Monahan did really well last night. Well, that was one of the only nights he and the rest of the top line did really well. For the rest of the time, the Flames have pretty much been relying on their fourth line of Ryan Hathaway and Manjapani to get the goals for them, which has been working out shockingly well for relying on a fourth line. Fun fact. That fourth line, two of the players are undrafted, and the third, Manjapani, was drafted in the sixth round. And they've been actually lighting it up as far as a fourth line goes lately, which is kind of cool, but we really need to get that top line going. Either the Flames have been really anemic offensively, getting like one or, you know, zero goals a game being shut out by the LA Kings, one of the worst teams in the league, or they've been on absolute fire with, like, Matthew Kachuk getting six points in a game or something like that. So they're really streaky right now. I'm not really worried. The Flames are good, obviously. They're first in the West, so they'll go into the playoffs, and I'm sure they'll pick it up. But that kind of meh record is because the top line is not really firing on all cylinders or no cylinders for the most part for the rest of this month. Um, The rest of the team's just fine. Everyone, I keep seeing articles about Flames goaltending and how, oh, it might not get them through the playoffs. Goaltending has been fine. They have been allowing hardly any goals. Mike Smith has rebounded from the first few months of the season where he looked like an 80-year-old man now he's a perfectly respectable 9-12 save percentage since uh, the All-Star break, I believe. He's doing just fine. Riddick is doing just fine. He's not, like, lighting it up like he was early in the year, but he's down to about an average level since the All-Star break. And if you get average goaltending in the playoffs with a team that generally scores a ton, I think they have a pretty good chance. So I'm feeling good about the Flames. Their last month didn't look amazing, but... I'll just chalk that up to they're kind of just winding down into the playoffs before they'll pick it up again. At least that's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, the Oilers this past month, you know, I it's Oilers. So I figured I'd uh, just kind of take some time to back up a bit because, you know, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, Peter Torelli was relieved, if you could call it that, of his GM (laughs) duties for the Oilers chanted Um, out of office by fans (laughs) so and you know with the dust sort of settling on a all too familiar oilers season here i figured it's time to start looking at this gm replacement sort of hunt and figuring out where they might be going with it it'll be interesting to see and just full disclosure whatever the heck i'm gonna say has no weight on reality in any way (laughs) Except our reality, Stu. Right, yeah. Yeah. Our limited reality. So, the most popular speculation is the AGM out of Vegas, Kelly McCrimmon. I'm sure you've heard. He's been getting all the press in Edmonton and beyond. He's, you know, as the apparent front runner. And I don't doubt he's on the top of Nicholson's list. Uh, And I definitely wouldn't complain if that's who we ended up with. 
but I don't think it's as guaranteed as everyone kind of makes it out to be. Firstly, because, like, is George McPhee really going to just let him go to a divisional rival that easily? Maybe, maybe not. That's a question. But also, does McCrimmon, wouldn't he just rather start from scratch in Seattle than deal with the festering pile of turd that Torelli left on the carpet? (laughs) (laughs) He had so so much hands-on experience in helping build that Vegas team from scratch through that draft lottery. So if he wants that Seattle job, it's his for the take, and there's no question about it, right? They'll give that to him, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's an interesting enough challenge for him to consider. So I'm sure that's in the back of his mind if he is even interviewing with Nicholson at any point during that conversation. So beyond that headline name, let's take a look at a couple other names, starting with Keith Gretzky. Oh, boy. Yeah, that one. Everyone's third favorite Gretzky. Oh, you said Keith. I did, yeah. Oh, there's oh, there's more Gretzkys. There, there's there's a few of them, yeah. Okay. Even the Oilers' own AGM and interim GM is in the running for this job. And believe it or not, I think he'd be a pretty good pick, but Oilers fans might burn the city to the ground while chanting Old Boys Club <laughs> if that does happen. So... It'll be interesting to see if Nicholson is willing to kind of take that heat of an entire city burning to the ground in order to make that pick. But yeah, I wouldn't object to it, uh, but I do think he would need someone a bit more senior exec, uh, like a president of hockey operations overseeing him and kind of mentoring him through that role. And on that note, Elliot Friedman has been churning the old rumor mill with with, uh, talks that uh, apparently Ken Holland is on Nicholson's list. They have Hockey Canada connections and things like that. And obviously a very experienced GM, no doubt. But he's the current GM in Detroit. So a current GM moving isn't something that happens all the time. But that being said... Steve Eiserman resigned from his GM spot in Tampa because he doesn't like being in Tampa because he wants to be in Detroit. So if he wants to go to Detroit and run his good old hometown team, I'm sure they're going to give him those keys. Go on, Steve, do your best. Oh, Ken, here's a nice promotion to a good old honorary title or something, right? At which point, if... Ken is so interested, I'm sure he could look elsewhere. Yeah. Again, that being said, I wouldn't necessarily take him as a GM at this point in time. His methods are becoming a bit outdated, the way he's run that team. You know, obviously it worked well for a long time for that team, but uh, you're starting to see it not age too well. So it would be interesting, though, to see him as a, a poho over top of uh, Gretzky as sort of a mentoring role. So that would be one interesting thing that I'd be willing to take. But again, it's not up to me. I'm not in those interviews. <laughs> you sure? You might get a call. <laughs> Pretty sure I'm not in there. My actual top pick uh, is would actually be Mike Gillis. Really? Yeah. Do tell. Yeah, I know. Hear me out here. (laughs) So he was a player agent for almost 20 years. So he's smart with contracts on both sides of that table. He's like a data guy, science, progress. He's all about moving the game forward, the league forward, and his organization forward. So he's got kind of a similar mindset to a lot of these up-and-comers, a lot of these AGMs that have been thrown around as names on this list. 
he's got a lot of the same mindset as those younger guys, but he's also got that GM experience to back it up. So that kind of sets him off in a little bit. I, I know his tenure as the Canucks GM wasn't perfect, but I think he's pretty much sort of, he's learned from and taken responsibility for all those mistakes of which I didn't think there was actually that many. For all those reasons, like he's my top pick, but for the majority of those reasons, that's probably also why he's probably not even on Bob Nicholson's list <laughs> because words like data, progress, and science just don't seem to be uh, keywords when it comes to Nicholson. Yeah, those are scary. scary yeah, words. so so I'll, uh, I'll look forward to cheering for Seattle when they hire Gillis instead. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those are my kind of uh, just a few takes on some of the names you've been hearing out there, but for whatever that's worth, whoever it is, I hope the new GM re-signs Tobias Reader. Oh yeah, <laughs> just because. That... Yeah, that's enough. Enough said right there. You know who would absolutely fit Nicholson's bill as a GM? <laughs> Brian Burke. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that, and I didn't <laughs> want to hear it. That's who I want to see as GM of the Oilers. Just an angry Irishman that refuses to wear a tie. That would be a fun time. It would be It would be entertaining, for sure. There would be entertainment value. Trades would be made. <laughs> yeah. Bold trades. Yeah, McDavid would have to become much more truculent. <laughs> I think we've discussed this on the, the podcast The Oilers are before. full of truculents. Burke yeah. would be so pleased. Lucic would get a raise yeah. somehow. <laughs> He's not being paid enough. Let's move on. Now it's time for some sellies and scorns, and I am going to go first. So... For my Selly, this kind of dates back to the trade deadline because at the trade deadline, Columbus did some interesting things. They already were going to lose, theoretically, they're going to lose their top two players in Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin because both of those players refused to resign with the Jackets. Panarin being a top-end forward, Bobrovsky being a very good number one goalie. He hasn't been as good this year, but still, his record indicates that he's the number one goalie. So, they're probably not going to re-sign with Columbus at the end of the year. So, generally, what a team might do is trade them to try to get something of value for the players that they're going to lose anyway. Did Columbus do that? No, they absolutely did not. Columbus said, screw it, we're going all in, and they traded numbers of picks and prospects. It went after Matt Duchesne from Ottawa, who is a big draw at the trade deadline. He's also not signed next year. He doesn't have a contract for next year. Uh, Dezingle, Ryan Dezingle from Ottawa as well. He's a UFA at the end of the year. They, you know, showered Ottawa with picks and prospects at the trade deadline. And they also went for more depth pieces like goalie Keith Kincaid and defenseman Adam McQuaid. Now, why is that a selly? Because I think it's awesome that a team just went, hey, we're not going to play it conservative. We're going to go all in. Even if they're not top of the division, top of the conference, they're not even close. But they said, we are going for it. We're not just going to sit back and die with a whimper and go in the first round. We're going to go with an absolute bang. So screw it. And I think that's just fun to watch because the trade deadline kind of perked up with those trades it was kind of like what is columbus doing oh my goodness they're just going for it and it gave a little extra intrigue to the rest of the season when most teams would have absolutely played it safe so congrats to columbus for drawing all of our 
collective interest and kind of, I think, making everyone deep down root a little bit for them because they were, they were making it interesting, that's for sure. And now for my scorn. The Columbus Blue Jackets, what are you doing? <laughs> you have completely sacrificed your future for a season in which you will not win. You won't do it. Like, you're losing your best two players. Now you're probably going to lose Matt Duchesne because he doesn't really want to be there. And he's playing terribly. And maybe you'll get, like, Dezingle and Kincaid back. But you're losing all your best players. And you're not going to get anything for them. And you're barely in the playoffs. You're in the last wildcard spot. You're tied with Montreal. This was a bad idea, Columbus. This was bad. It was interesting, but you have screwed yourself. The fans right now are probably like, why wouldn't you get anything for two top-tier all-star players? So... Yeah, scorn to Columbus. You guys are insane. It was fun to watch, and now it's kind of like watching a really big bonfire from a distance. You wonder if it's going to get completely out of control or if the firefighters are somehow going to be able to handle it. I don't know, man. Columbus is so... uh, What's the word? For, like... Controversial? Dang. (laughs) And it's not controversial? No. Polarizing. Polarizing. Columbus is so polarizing right now. I want to see them succeed because I want more teams to go nuts with trades, but I also want them to fail to see what will happen this offseason because that will also be very interesting. So, Selly, Columbus, good job going for it. Scorn, Columbus, you guys are insane and it is going to backfire. What do you think, Stu? What is? What are your thoughts on Columbus's insane plans? I totally agree because if you look at just the Columbus and Ottawa in those transactions, the conventional wisdom is always on Ottawa's side there. You know, get picks, build for your future, do a rebuild, yada, yada. Yeah. Columbus is, yeah, the absolute idiot in the room doing this. <laughs> But who, which fan would you much rather be right now, this March, going into the playoffs? Right now, I think every Columbus fan is having a collective heart attack. Exactly. Like, wow, okay. Ottawa, fans, <laughs> Ottawa fans are sleeping on the couch because they have nothing to look forward to for at least four years. Exactly. So boring. So uninteresting. I've been through seven rebuilds <laughs> with the Edmonton Oilers. Not at all fun. Columbus, that's totally the way to do it. Yes, next year and for the 10 years following, they're going to suck. But this playoffs, they will be very interesting for five games before they're eliminated. (laughs) Eliminated by Washington or Pittsburgh, yep. So my scorn is actually for Ken Hitchcock. And not for, I don't know, you know, losing all these games with the Oilers or anything like that. But for something that is maybe old news for some people, but I just found out about recently. Apparently, Hitchcock was pretty much the guy who was pushing to get Manning on the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, no. So that's a question right there. Really? Really, that's something you push for? And he was the guy pushing that Pugliarvi get promoted and gets more ice time and pressured harder. I hate both of those decisions. And I understand that a coach is involved in some of these decisions, but I like he's basically a rental coach came in to kind of, you know, I don't know what, start some fires or whatever. And he really pushed for some really bad decisions. And of course, 
Shirelli is not absolved of actually, you know, following through with some of those decisions because the buck stops with him. He's responsible for it. So, you know, my scorn is always with Shirelli. So nothing changes there. But come <laughs> on, Hitchcock. Like, I, I have no words. My Selly is actually for the NHL schedule. Whoever set up the NHL schedule this year is has earned my Selly because uh, a little while ago, uh, March 16th, the Capitals played the Bolts, right? Okay. That was the first time they played since the Eastern Conference Finals last year's playoffs. Interesting. Okay. So that's what, six out of the seven-month schedule that they don't play each other. Then they play three games against each other in a span of two weeks. How cool is that? It's basically a mini playoff series. Exactly. And probably one we're going to see again, probably the Eastern Conference Finals this year, maybe. It's basically a yeah warm-up towards that. I'm not the hugest fan of baseball, but one thing I really love about MLB scheduling is series, right? Mm. They do these series where teams build up these rivalries because they play each other back to back to back to back for 17 nights because they have 900 games in a season (laughs) or whatever. I realize you can't quite do that in the NHL, but that is a very cool idea that the NHL should adopt more of because building up these rivalries with divisional rivals or whoever you're building up by playing multiple games in short time span very cool idea makes hockey exciting and interesting and i would love to see more of that i totally agree i didn't know that about washington and tampa but that is kind of cool i wonder how intentional that is by the schedule maker though if that's just a product of when he could schedule them or whether he was like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make like a little mini playoff series like he's some sort of prediction wizard yeah yeah, I, I wonder that too. It, like, maybe they're kind of testing the waters to see if this kind of scheduling works well. But again, the problem is in the NHL, we have now 31 teams coming up on 32. You know, everyone has to play everyone at least twice because you got to visit all the cities so that everyone in Edmonton can see Sidney Crosby at least once, everyone in Calgary can see Alexander Ovechkin at least once. I get that sort of thing, I guess, but frankly, I would rather have we play Pittsburgh once every three years and just play Calgary like 12 times, <laughs> you know, and maybe three times in a, a week early on in the season, then another three times in a week later on in the season, you know, so much cooler if we could get, because then it just makes it playoff hockey and everybody knows that playoff hockey is the best kind of hockey. And now it's time for the news. The Las Vegas Golden Knights have clinched a playoff spot, making them the only team to have 100% postseason appearances since the league's inception. And that was the news. All right, so now we're going to talk about our predictions for the last few games of the season. So from today, the 30th of March, to the end of the season... The Oilers have five games left, and the Flames have four, and they will be facing each other in the final Battle of Alberta on April 6th. So, first off, for the, uh, let's say the Oilers, how well do you think they're going to do in their last five games? Four and one. Four and one? Yep. But you can't guess who they're going to lose to. The Flames. (laughs) Congratulations. That's ambitious. I think they're going to win two out of five. (laughs) And I know I'm supposed to be the uh, 
the Oilers die hard, and I am of the two of us, but I just can't. I just can't, you know, see it happening. <laughs> two is being gracious, I think. I think they're going to win two of five. All right. The Flames, they've got four games left. How many do you think they're going to win? I think they're going to go two and two. Two and two? Yeah. So you think the Oilers are going to win more than the Flames are? Yeah, because it doesn't matter anymore. The Oilers can't make the playoffs and the Flames can't miss. So That's true. That's true. But there's still a significantly difference in talent and skill and all those things. But uh, all right, well. Mark my words, this is going to happen. I think the Flames are just going to sweep. Really? Yeah. Like, who are they playing? Edmonton, L.A. I know they got shut out by L.A. Yeah. last time, but that shouldn't happen. That's clearly a one anomaly sort of thing. That's not going to happen again. They're playing Anaheim again, I believe. Uh, I forgot who the fourth one is, but at this point, it doesn't matter. I think San they're Jose. Gonna... Oh, okay, San Jose might be a bit tough. Yeah. But, and if uh, they're playing Anaheim in Anaheim, the Flames can't win in Anaheim. They've yeah. done it once in uh, a million years. Yeah, yeah. Nah. Now nah, they're going to sweep it. All right. So, well, now you know both of our predictions for the Battle of Alberta, but do we want to go into that a bit more in depth? I think we both think the Flames are going to win, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you think it's going to be a big win, a close game, anything like that? I feel like we should have a tiebreaker of some sort here. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like it'll be a close game. All right. Yeah. The Flames, again, they haven't been exactly lighting the world on fire recently, so I don't think they're going to blow the Oilers out of the water by any stretch. Do we know which city it's being held in? It is in Calgary. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with that prediction then. I don't know what it would have changed. I don't even know why I bothered (laughs) asking. (laughs) All right, so you think the Flames are going to win, but it's going to be close. Actually, hang on. Now that I've said that, the Flames will probably play a lot of a a lot of players like from the press box and down in the roster i would say right yeah gonna do like a split squad preseason game kind of like that so yeah that just reinforces that it's gonna be a close calgary win to (laughs) me (laughs) we're gonna have like dalton prout and oscar fantenberg as the (sighs) as the third defense pairing and like oliver shillington's gonna be on the first pairing and mike smith's kid's probably gonna be in net so (laughs) All right, well, then for, I guess, the sake of controversy or lack thereof, I'll say the Flames are going to win it and it'll be not close. I think, let's say again, three or more goals difference. Who's getting a hat trick for the Flames then? Uh, No one. No No, one. No one. No, it's going to be like eight defenders (laughs) getting points. (laughs) Dalton Brooks just fill in the stat sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my prediction. All right. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. That game is on April 6th, I believe. Yep, Saturday, April 6th. And uh, on that note, we're coming to the end of the season, so as you might have guessed, if we waited a month from now before we record again, I don't know what will have happened. <laughs> Flames might still be in the playoffs. They might not be. We the Oilers hope. assuredly will not be. <laughs> They'll be hitting the links around then. Though not mathematically eliminated. Oh my goodness, I hate math. Just just knock us out. Just put us out of our misery. Just end the suffering. We're going to try and do some uh, kind of bonus weekly episodes throughout the playoffs to keep you a bit more in the loop because this is your sole source of news for hockey, I'm sure. Congratulations if this is your sole source of news from hockey. Don't know how you've stumbled across this, but thank you. So yeah, uh, be sure to follow us on all your favorite podcasting gizmos and thingamajoggers because uh, we'll be definitely doing some more frequent episodes throughout the playoffs to 
talk about how well the Flames are doing and how well the Oilers can golf. I'm excited. This city, Calgary, which we are in, is going to be hopping for the playoffs. So I am I am pumped for that, and I am pumped to do some more playoff predictions and to break down what we're seeing in the playoff series, the single playoff series that we'll be paying attention to yeah and and of course playoff hockey is just playoff hockey so we'll we'll be talking about all the playoffs not just the flame series but that'll definitely be our focus so be sure to stick around or stay tuned or whatever people say to that (laughs) (laughs) all right everyone that concludes this episode Thank you so much for listening. You can go to thebattleofalbertapodcast.com to get previous episodes and also to download some of those podcast apps that you need to listen to us. Our theme music is Lose Your Head by Apache Tomcat. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Darren Plett along with Stuart Jones. Catch you next time.